And today we will be in the book of Isaiah. And I'll be reading chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And turn their faces upward. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into darkness. Sort of Lord, you may be seated. So as we said, we are in the Advent season, and this year I did not miss the first week of Advent, finally, which is the last week of November. Advent comes from, the word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. And during this season, we, we remember, we commemorate, and we are excited for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the manger in Bethlehem, but also for the second Advent when he comes again in power and in majesty. We think of Christ coming to this earth. He is the ultimate missionary. We are a church that supports and sends missionaries. Next week and the week after that, we actually have missionaries two weeks in a row. Next week, we have the Van Wykes from Botswana coming. Um, I actually been to Botswana. I got to see lions. I was close enough to touch them. They told me I couldn't pet them, but I wanted to. And then Santiago Guerrera is going to be here the week after that. And he is a U.S. missionary of countercult ministries. Missions is important, but why is it important? What is the point of missionaries? A missionary is someone who leaves their home, their street, their town, their state, their country, or even section of the world. They have a message. They see the issue. They have a message, a solution, and then they are sent The ultimate missionary has come from much greater distance than any other missionary. Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, being fully God, does not hold on to his place. He humbles himself to the nature of a servant. He's never less than fully God, though, on earth. That's something that kind of gets said around. In fact, um, this morning when we were going over Sunday school, um, we had a, uh, a Mormon missionary, um, just, just kidding around. Uh, Dave Dow was teaching us some apologetics when it came to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one thing Dave said that really hit the nail on the head, when it comes to cults, focus on Jesus. Because if there's going to be an issue, it's going to be about Jesus. Jesus is always fully God, but he humbles himself to the form of a servant to death, even death on a cross. He has come a greater distance. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, I know I've already read that, but let me read it again. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is to hold on to. We know that Jesus Christ willingly, the second person of the Trinity, willingly came to this earth. And we see this. Why does he come to this earth? Because him, his father, the Holy Spirit, they see our great need. Why do we send missionaries? Because missions is necessary. Missions is necessary. There was a man named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was one of the most prolific missionaries of the 19th century. 
He went into China when China was a little more than closed. And when he was telling a missions board why he wanted to go, his enthusiasm, they told him this, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. You know, that might be true, but we need to understand God has ordained salvation by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 17, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? What's necessary? Preaching. Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. No one gets saved unless they hear the word of Christ. How can they hear though without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? The second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, comes to this world to tell us the way of eternal life. That's Christmas. A heavenly missionary coming down. He himself is known as the word of God, the logos, the word. And what marks that? What are the marks of the missionary of what we just read here? They understand the need. The need is that unless you have somebody preaching, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Someone needs to be sent. And Jesus Christ, seeing us, knows that we need a, we need a savior. He does not come just to be an example to be followed or something nice to put on a coffee mug. No, our only means of salvation is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Yet every year, people want to take Christ out of Christmas, which is ridiculous. It's right there in the name. As we enter this Advent season, many people want to have Christmas, just not Christ. That misses the whole point. That's, that's the state of unbelief. I want to be a Christian I just don't want Christ. Or people make up a Jesus in their image who is nothing like the Jesus of the Bible. A Jesus who stays a baby. A Jesus who's cool with their sin, who loves what they love and hates what they hate. All of that is darkness. But the sun rises in the morning. Why do we send missionaries? We are a mission-sending church, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean that our primary purpose and missions, we don't send people to simply alleviate human suffering. One of our missionaries, one of our mission agencies we support is Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is awesome. Remember the wildfires that were happening in Hawaii before even the Red Cross got there? Convoy of Hope was there passing out water. But if, all, if the only thing that Convoy of Hope did was to help those who are suffering... We wouldn't support them as a church because we can do clean water. We can do food. We can help people. And that is very good. But unless they have the gospel of Jesus Christ, unless somebody preaches to them the gospel, then they'll go to hell with a full belly and clean water. And of course, we absolutely do those things, but because we love Jesus so much, we want to do good towards others. But if we want to give them the best thing, it's the gospel. You ever wonder, why, why does Christmas even happen? Why does Jesus need to come to this earth? If it's just to give us good feelings, couldn't he have done that in heaven? He has to come because our need is so great and we can't meet it ourselves. We are in need of salvation for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This, this Advent season, I'm talking about Jesus Christ as missionary. When it comes to missions, the missionary needs to see the need. 
They need to know the solution and they need to be sent. So this week was about the need. And as Becca was reading here is from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. This is right before one of the primary Christmas passages in the Bible, um, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, um, 1 through 7. So before this, we see this incredible need that people have, that if you have anything other than the word of Christ, the word of God, you have nothing but darkness. And this week, I was just, I was going to be preaching on the need. I thought I would just, just stay in there. I'm not going to, though, because as I was going along, it's like, I have to talk about the light out of the darkness. I was like, I could leave you in darkness for the week and the need to wait for next week, and I'll talk about the solution. I'm not going to do this, do that. I want you all to be Christmas missionaries this season because there's an open door at Christmas. I was asked not long ago what my church's outreach strategy was for our church. And I told the person, it's easy. It's the people in my congregation. You are the outreach strategy of the church. That is how it's always should have been. It's the way it's always should be. It is not spectacle. I saw this mega church a few weeks ago and they did a sermon series and I I am not joking one single bit on the Adams family. And the pastor's exegeting the Adams family. And like, man, stop being a clown and give the people the word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. There's an open door during Christmas. My outreach strategy is you to pray for you, to train you, and to send you out week to week to do the work of the ministry. Right now is a big open door. People want to talk about the babe in the manger, but make sure they know that he's a missionary with a message and a purpose. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Dear believer, you are a missionary, whether it's across the street or across the world. Every single one of us are missionaries because the Lord has sent us. As the father sent him, he is sending us. Jesus Christ is sending us. So we look at the missionary, our our primary scripture for this whole series is the verses in Romans. And we see the need, unless somebody preaches to them, they do not hear. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There needs to be an understanding of the need. There needs to be an agony over the lost in every Christian's life. Are you a believer today? Do you believe that there is no way out of hell other than Jesus Christ? You're a missionary and you have a message. David Wilkerson and Leonard Ravenhill both have sermons about this. You can find them on YouTube. Um, Agony and Anguish, respectively, I might be mixing up. But if you just type in one of their names in Agony or Anguish, you'll find it. And such powerful, they, they were prophets of their time. They were prophets of their time. They had no problem confronting the drift that was going on in the church of anything but Christ. He said, you know, when God wants to, both of them were saying, when God wants to do something in a people, he finds a person open enough to be filled with the anguish of the call. And for David Wilkerson, he was preaching on Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king in a land of exile. And he gets this report about, about Jerusalem and how the walls have been busted down. And he is filled with anguish and agony. And he cries out to the Lord, where are, there, where are the people, where are the Christians who are looking at our nation and they see, instead of getting angry, instead of getting depressed, they are filled with anguish for a generation who doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. So many of us are like Jonah before that and we just get angry at him for it and we just write him off. 
David Wilkerson, I remember, and this always got me because before I was a senior pastor, I was a youth pastor. And he said, where's the Sunday school teacher who weeps over their students who know that they're going to hell? And I'm like, I want to be that one. Lord, fill me with agony so that I might see the need and go out. Instead of being so blinded by all of the noise of this world, I want to be the person who God chooses because we see this with the son. What makes the son leave his perfect fellowship with the father in heaven? It is the call of God on his life, of the father on his life. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross, scorning and shame, sits down at the right hand of the father in heaven. He left his home with the Father, took on flesh, and dwelt amongst us. He is the Word made flesh. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Why did he come? Because we have no other way. We cannot save ourselves. Anyone else who has any other kind of word, they only add to the darkness. That's what our scripture today was telling us. It tells us about a dark night. And out of the dark night, the dark souls. And the portion we didn't read from chapter 9 is darkness and light. Kind of a preview of preview of my message right here is I wasn't included. I wasn't going to include chapter nine. I preached on chapter nine now twice. Now it'll be three times. It's a very popular Christmas passage. So I'll probably preach on it a few more times. And uh, the reason why, I mean, it, there's so much in this. There's certain things to point out. First time I preached on this here, I was preaching on the names of names of Christ are in the last bit of the passage. During Christmas one year, a candlelight service, I preached on the light out of darkness. And now, right now, as I talk about Jesus Christ being our missionary, is understanding how necessary it is because we can't save ourselves. Without Christ, all we have is darkness. It's a very dark night. And I have on here, insert Batman joke. Um, Not talking about the dark K-N-I-G-H-T, but the dark night of the soul. And the days are getting darker, right? You feel that? Like five o'clock feels like the middle of the night. Me and Becca were watching a Christmas show last night. And we're like, okay, after this, we're going to go to bed. And after the show was done, we're like, oh, it must be like 12 o'clock. And it was six (laughs) o'clock. The days are getting darker physically. It's not your imagination. Um, Night comes a lot quicker. But it's more than that too. There's a dark night of the soul that our nation is experiencing more than other times. This isn't just a general, you know, this nation's going to hell in a handbasket, but times are getting darker. Spiritually, absolutely. Many people have said, we, we are going into a post-Christian age here in America. I would submit, actually, I think we're, we're skipping post-Christian, now we're going to pre-Christian. We're going back to paganism. And as I preach this to you today, I am very saddened how relevant the plain meaning of this scripture is when it comes to medium and spiritualists. But we look at the world at large. Six years ago compared to today, there is such a difference when it comes to peace. There are wars that have sprung up almost out of nowhere. The war in Israel has been revealing a lot of hearts. I never thought I would live to... I I never thought I'd live to... See the time in this country, people will, people will shout pro-genocidal slogans, including politicians, with no shame about it. In fact, if you're wondering and you hear this phrase, 
I want you to know, they're saying, we want all the Jews dead. It's from the river to the sea. Okay, that's all of Israel. They want all the Jews out of there. The Palestinian Authority, the president of the Palestinian Authority said that not one Jew will be in Palestinian land. So when you hear people, like for instance, in the Senate and the Congress, start shouting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's a nice way of saying we want all the Jews dead. It's getting dark, folks. I fear, in fact, we're going into a Romans 1.24 society. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The days are getting darker. Many see this darkness. Some are blind to it. Few know how to get out of this darkness. This section, and the reason why I always take this section together, because it's a section title in your Bibles, uh, chapter 8 from 19 to uh, 9, 7. And uh, I take this together, and I always see it when I come to this one in my Bible reading, I'm like, these are the Halloween to Christmas verses. And what I mean by that, actually, I wrote an article in the paper about this, is that you have these elements of kind of modern day view of Halloween. So I'm not talking historically All Saints Day, the day before All Saints Day, but kind of the way we see Halloween with the ghost goblins and witches and stuff like that. And how do we get from that, especially in this country, kind of weird, right? We have like that going on 31st of October. And then like a month and a half later, we're like, Jesus. Well, Israel needed to, to go from that as well. There's never a time in Israel's history where they don't worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they include other worship. They include other practices. One of those practices is necromancy, which is a really fancy, sounds like Dungeons and Dragons. What it really means is just talking to the dead. So mediums, spiritualists, what have you, are in this category. In the 19th and early 20th century, spiritualism took, took the world by storm. And it's really, it was seen as something new, as a science of the soul, but it was just old occult practices that they were already doing in Israel by the time of Isaiah chapter 8. Chapter 8 talks about darkness and necromancy, themes people often associate with Halloween. Chapter 9 is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Unto us the Son is born, unto us the Son is given. In verse 19, we see a strong condemnation of necromancy. Many times in scripture, depending on how much you study it, you will find a reason behind every command of the Lord. One of the commands of the Lord is against speaking to the dead. And in 19 and 20, we see the reason behind that. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Before this chapter, before we got to this section in Isaiah, the part I didn't read to you, He's been giving all these prophecies to the king of Judah, but the king of Judah isn't listening. So we get to this part. He is speaking to his disciples for them to hold on to this, to to keep this. And he is concerned for them because when things get bad, the the knee-jerk reaction is to look for any spiritual authority other than God himself. So he says, and when they say to you, inquire the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Look at the concept here, because sometimes people like to try to use, in fact, over in England, still to this day, there's spiritualist churches. The uh, buffoon pastor will get up 
get up on stage and he'll say that he is hearing from the dead in the congregation, that uh, in the, from the dead. He'll say to the congregation, he does a cold read. He's like, anybody lose somebody with uh, the, you know, first name M? And in a crowd of even this many, probably at some point in time, last 10 years. And he'll do this little, he'll do this little song and dance. He, and whether or not he's literally doing it or figuratively doing it, he shouldn't be doing it at all. Should a, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? I mean, there's even people kind of in our movement who will say that the Holy Spirit is taking them to heaven. They're speaking to the dead there. What does it say there? Shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire on the dead on behalf of the living? Why does this grieve the heart of God so? Because you act as though God is not here. You act as though he's not omnipresent. You act as though the Holy Spirit of God does not dwell inside of you. You haven't inquired of the Lord, so you look to all other things. Simply put, talking with the dead is condemned. The concept of asking the dead and not your God is abhorrent to our Lord and Savior. It hurts the Lord that his people should run to the darkness of spiritual counterfeits when he is right there. And don't take this to only mean the occult practice. Anything else we run to other than him fits into this section right here of going to spiritual counterfeits. In verse 20, to this teaching and to the testimony. To the teaching, some of your translations will say to the law and to the testimony. We are talking here, we, are, we, we have just went from chapter 7, a testimony of Jesus Christ, to chapter 9. Right after this will be the chapter 9, which is yet another prophecy of Jesus Christ. And so to this teaching and to this testimony, if they will not speak according to the word, it is because they have no light of dawn. So many are in this darkness. They have no light of dawn. So many people who call themselves Christians are the same way because they will look towards anything other than God's word itself. And I'm so grieved because there's so much false prophecy in the church today and false prophets never take responsibility for it. I can tell you many people, a false prophet told them, this cancer won't metastasize and the cancer metastasize. They should go to that false prophet and demand answers. Because now that person believes that God said something he's not fulfilling. Speaking darkness instead of light. Instead of going to what the word is, the God, God's word, the Bible. Go to every other thing. I mean, man, I, 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 so many things. Growing up, I mean, I remember all these personality tests. And before looking at the scripture, what the scripture tells about us, we're like, well, I'm an eight. I'm a beaver. I'm a whatever, the Incredible Hulk. Instead of actually listening to what the Lord says about us, what he calls us, son and daughter of the living God. Verse 20 tells us that those who teach, who will not teach according to the word and to the testimony, they don't have the light of dawn. All they have is darkness. It can sound good. It can make sense. But if it is not according to the word and the testimony, they have no light of dawn. It doesn't have to be necromancy. It can be anything that is not speaking according to the word. Lies in darkness. Here's our question. Have we let that into our own hearts? Because we are about to hear a description of somebody who has, of a people who have. And unfortunately, many Christians I see falling into this. They sound like what we're about to hear as we, as we go on with this scripture. You know, we've, sometimes we let these voices in. 
You know, the scripture, you know, the scripture paints us as completely unable to save ourselves. That even our righteous deeds in Isaiah 64, verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So what of our, what of our righteous deeds? They're like a polluted garment. In Sunday school this morning, we had the apologetics with the, with, uh, the, talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Some people were kind of on this. What part does good works play in our salvation? Dear believer, they don't add anything to our salvation. They're an expression of gratitude because he saved us. They're an expression of gratitude because he has saved us. This is the worldview that God has given us, that we are, we, we are like a worn out garment. We are in desperate need of a savior, that this world is in darkness, but we have seen the light. It is a light, it's a dark night indeed when there is no word of God. When there is a famine in the land, not of food, but of the word of God. The other day, somebody was telling me a statistic that when you actually consider the relevant data, something like about 6% of this country are real Bible-believing Christians. How does that happen in this country? How does that happen in a country who has enjoyed the choicest benefits of the blessings of God, who have in the past uh, has said that we owe all of our success to God to go from that to believing that our success comes from our own deeds? There's a famine of the word of God in this country. When it comes to reading the Bible, many people, if you ask them, do you read the Bible? They're like, I own a lot of Bibles. But no, no, I haven't read it. It's one of those things we recommend to other people like going to the gym, but we have no intention of going to the gym. Two, we read it, but we don't consider it. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are in that, in that situation. They know that reading the Bible is good, so they do their Bible reading plans, but it never actually gets into their heart. They don't consider it for their life. Here's another thing. Maybe they read it, maybe they consider it, but they take other opinions as equally authoritative. That's what Isaiah is talking about here, is that the mediums, the spiritualists, the spiritual counterfeits, they take that as authoritative as the word of God. Should not a people inquire of their God? Here's the other one. I read it, but I don't live it. The greatest threat really to a nation and a famine of the word of God is those who Read it, they believe it, but they don't live it. People should see you growing in holiness in their, your day-to-day life. So from the dark night, we see dark souls coming from the dark night. That this darkness has not been outside, but it is now inside. Everyone has a dark night of the soul, but are you trapped in that darkness? Have you started to believe those lies? Well, let's check out what this thick darkness, those who in thick darkness act, think, and feel. If this describes you, you know, danger, Will Robinson, danger, because that might be you. In, in verses 20 and 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is that darkness? How do you feel day to day? We talked about this, uh, Pastor Curtis brought this up. You know, this is a time where people get very depressed. But is that a passing thing that the Lord helps you through, or is that your worldview life? That your, is that your worldview? You look at the world, you see only distress and darkness. Distressed. Let's start. There's two ways that uh, Isaiah describes the person who is, not, who is not living according to the word and to the testimony. They are distressed and they are hungry. In Isaiah 8, there are two things that characterize those who do not speak according to the word. They are distressed and hungry. The word being translated distressed is kasha. Kasha. And I think this is interesting to know this because when I thought distressed, I, I don't know about you, but when I read, read distressed, I think depressed. That's not exactly what Isaiah is talking about here. Kasha is a primitive root properly to be dense, tough, severe, be cruel, be fiercer, make grievous. That's a very interesting, it's a very interesting combination. And we see the description later on. In fact, I think I've seen this a lot with people who, when they get drunk, they become depressed. They are consumed with self-loathing and they're angry about it too. It's this petty kind of anger. That's what we see. They, they roam through the land and when they look at the world and out of their, out of their own spiritual famine, they get distressed and hungry and they, out of that, they curse their God and king. You know, it's amazing to me, no matter how much of a one-to-one thing you can describe to somebody when they're in a bad state, they don't believe it. They think this is coming down from God onto them. They're like, why would God allow this? And I'm like, he allowed you to have free will and you use that free will to indulge the sinful nature. He said, from the sinful nature, you reap death. You don't reap life. And you decided to do this. And we see here in Isaiah that this person, they don't blame themselves. They curse their God and their king. Everybody else is to blame but me. This angry, petulant attitude. This is a virtue in our culture right now. Grievance culture. You always have to be upset about something. You have to be angry about something. All this self-loathing mixed with pride. And what we have is exact description of what Isaiah says, that if you do not have the word, you are hungry and you are distressed. The second characteristics of those who do not speak according to the word is they are hungry. The Hebrew just means somebody who has not been fed, somebody who is hungry. But that means a lot, right? Figuratively, we fill ourselves with so much. Thursday was Thanksgiving, and I imagine many of us, if not all of us, ate our fill that day. Can you imagine eating a whole turkey, half a pie, all the whipped cream, and still be hungry? That's what happens if somebody is not believing the word of God. They can try to fill themselves with everything they can. I know some of you like the movie Tombstone. In Tombstone, there's a guy named Johnny Ringo. And Johnny Ringo, that's what Doc, Doc Holliday says about him, is that he has a big hole in him and he can't fill it enough with enough murder, enough, enough alcohol, enough anything. It's just not enough. He's always hungry. And that is the person who is not satisfied in the Lord. The spiritual state of all those who do not have the word 
And it can be ours too if we forget that it is the Lord who satisfies us. Dear believer, you can live like this too when you forget who satisfies you. Augustine of Hippo explores this idea. He says, you have made us for yourself, speaking of God. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Pastor John Piper says he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Remember hearing about after 9-11, so many people were so hungry for spiritual things. And the churches were filled after 9-11. But you know, we should have learned this in 9-11. Just because somebody wants spiritual things does not mean they want the Lord. Right here in Isaiah, they're hungry for spiritual things. He says they're going to come into you when things get bad. The spiritualists, the mediums, the counterfeits, they come in trying to capitalize on this, but they have really nothing because if you listen to them, you're just going to be hungry. It will not fill the desire that's in your heart. In Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you want to make your joy, physical pleasure will never be enough. If you make intellectual pursuit your pleasure, your joy, it will never be enough. But if you seek after righteousness, you will be satisfied. Who can satisfy our longing hearts? Only the word made flesh. In verse 21, we see the blame game being played. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously about their king and their God and turn their faces upward. You know, it's a real shame. A lot of pastors will say this is a good thing, but it's not. It will cut you off from the only source of comfort that you have is that when things get bad for you to be angry with the, God, with the Lord. Now, you may be angry with the Lord and you have to go to him with your broken heart with all of that, just like the Psalms are. But that's different from somebody who shuts their heart off from the Lord because they're angry with him. The other day, Beck and I came home and um, something, something was left out or was not done. So I said, someone who will not be named because it was me did this. <laughs> what does a distressed and hungry person do? They play the blame game. God, the king, whatever, just not themselves. A person who is in the dark night of their soul is distressed and hungry and they curse. And out of that, they enter thick darkness. In verse 22, and they will look to the earth and but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. I get concerned with how much fear we feed on as believers because it's one thing to acknowledge. It's one thing to fight against. It's one thing to pray against. It's another thing to let that darkness in and to be in the thick darkness. To where when you look on the land, all you see is gloom and doom. Even in Revelation, when everything really does go ultimately bad, that is our great hope because the Lord brings a great salvation out of that. Ever been in thick darkness, like physically? When I was... Um, before I got married, I lived alone. I lived above a beauty salon. And um, my bedroom was a room inside. It had no windows in it. And um, I worked overnight sometimes, so I liked that. And I would even put like a towel underneath the door so I wouldn't see any light. A problem with that is my, my apartment didn't have its own heating. Like the building had heating. And we had supplemental heating. That just goes. It just goes and goes and goes until you shut it off. 
So I would fall asleep, it would be pitch black, and I would wake up in the middle of the night sweating. It felt like 120 degrees. I don't, I don't like to be hot. And I am panicking. I am desperate to find the light. Because it's a really bad thing to be confused in darkness, and it's hot, and that's the closest to hell I'm ever going to get. Remember finding the light, how precious the light is when it is thick darkness. One of the problems is that, oh, sorry, um, the Christmas missionary is the light switch in the darkness. And that's where we get to chapter nine, darkness to light. But there will be no gloom for those in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and and the land of Nephitali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Here we go, verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, that the people in Algona, Emmitsburg, Corwith, Laverne, who are walking in darkness might see a great light this Christmas. That needs to be carried by you. Because I don't know, I don't care what somebody looks on the outside. If they don't know the Lord, they are in a land of deep darkness. Seeing a great light, those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, a light has shone. When does the night end? Come December 21st, it will be the longest night of the year. But the night will end. The sun will rise in the morning. This Christmas may the dark night of the soul end for many. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Between the Old and New Testament is about 400 years. We call it an intertestamental period. And in that time, there are no new prophecies. There are no visions. There's no dreams. There's no effectively new word from the Lord. So 400 years of darkness. And then at the New Testament, at the birth of Jesus Christ, a light has dawned. For unto you this, born, for unto you this is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word became flesh and, made, and dwelt among us. Chapter 9 is what God has done for us. He has given us his son. Metaphorically, the sun has risen. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. How do we end up back into the deep darkness of our hearts? It's that we forget that very fact. That Christ is at the right hand of the, of the Father right now, making intercession for us. And he is coming back. We forget that we have a prince of peace, a father of what is everlasting, a mighty God, a wonderful counselor. We forget, so we must be reminded daily. These verses in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, they are fulfilled in the New Testament, and they are told to us directly how Christ fulfilled these in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Now then, when we heard that, Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Ephetali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah may be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephetali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee and the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, many people say, okay, we should leave that out of our gospel presentation. Just focus on the positives. 
Don't talk about repenting from our sin. Don't talk about sin. Here's why reading the Bible is so important. One of the reasons is if you don't read it, you might find yourself preaching directly against what Jesus preached again, what Jesus preached. His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, another popular Christmas, Christmas verse is here. This is Simeon taking the baby Jesus into his arm. He took him in his arms and blessed him blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your, to your people, Israel. That's what Christmas is. It's a light in the dark. Thank you so much, Pastor Curtis, for bringing that up. It's been a dark year. I mean that in every way imaginable for our church, for many of us personally. It's been very dark. How powerful it is to remember that there's a light in this darkness. You and I have this light. You see your family, you see the world at large plunged into darkness. You have the light. Who does God trust to bring this light now? It's you and I. If we forget the word, we don't have a light to bring. If we allow the doctrines of this world to win out, then our, in our worldview, then we have no light to bring, but more darkness. And in verses six and seven, in fact, once again, wasn't it going to include this? But how could I not include that? Once again, I was going to leave you guys just kind of in a depression about the need of this world, total depravity. But I was like, I just can't do it. We got to go to six and seven here too. For unto us, a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I have preached on each one of these names before, so I'm not going to do that right now. That was like an hour-long sermon, and we're doing pretty good on time, so I'm not going to do that, but I am going to give you the Reader's Digest because I want you to know the wealth of treasure you have in the Lord. When I preach about the names of, of Christ, I preached about these names in verse 6. I'm not going to repeat that here. I'm just going to give you the Reader's Digest. The first one, Wonderful Counselor. What a, what a great callback to previous in chapter 8 when people would inquire of mediums and spiritualists. Who's our wonderful counselor? Who do we go to when we want to know something? Now, counsel, just opinions. Everybody has opinions. You can go anywhere, ask somebody for their opinion, but shouldn't you inquire of your God, the wonderful counselor? Just like the warning we, we got in chapter 8, why do we go to anything other than the living God for counsel? When our heart is broken, why do we think the throne of God has lost its power that the blood cannot mend? He is known as mighty God. What a great example that the Messiah will be God himself we have in the Old Testament. We have no problem believing that God created Jupiter, who has a storm on, has a storm on its surface five times the size of the earth itself. But we have a hard time believing that God can do anything in our situation. We have his name, Eternal Father. Why is he called Father here? 
It's not that the son is the father. What it is, it's a turn of phrase. It's a, it's a figurative language. We still use it today. If I talk about Sigmund Freud being the father of modern psychology, you know what I'm talking about. So when it says that he is the everlasting father, and many times I will just translate this myself when I'm, when I'm quoting it, he's the father of what is everlasting. It's John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He is the father of what is everlasting. It's figurative language that we still use when we talk about the founding fathers, or that guy is the father of modern medicine. He is the father, the maker of what is eternal. He is the prince of peace. So we come to this Advent season, and this world has quite a few wars going on, right? We wonder, where is this peace? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the American poet, he asked this question in his poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's a, it's a song now. It's a Christmas hymn. And he explores this because he's seen the Civil War and he's seen brother kill brother. And he's like, there is no peace on earth, I say, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then the desperation, but I heard the bells on Christmas Day. God is not dead. He does not sleep. He is the Prince of Peace. Not exactly in the way we might see peace, but the greatest of peace, peace with God. And one day there will be peace on this earth when the, na- when the governments of this nation will be the governments of our God because the government will be upon his shoulders. Without this child born, without this son given, child born speaking of his humanity, a son given his deity, If the government is not on his shoulders, then we are at war with God and it's a frightful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I skipped over this. I want to go back to it. This, for unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given. We've been going through Genesis and we've taken a break from that to do this Advent series. And you remember in Genesis, the Lord asked Abraham to take his son, his only legitimate son in whom he was well pleased and to take him up to a hill that he would show him and to put him to death, to sacrifice him, to give his one and only son. And we know Abraham believing that Isaac would be resurrected, takes his son. And and you can go back into my sermon archives because I talk about where were they? What is three days travel in the direction that the Lord says? It's Jerusalem. And what hill is by Jerusalem? But Golgotha. He takes Isaac on Golgotha and the Lord tells him, stop. For now I know you fear me. And thousands of years later, God sends his son to the same hill. And instead of the knife being stopped, the knife falls and his hands are pierced. His feet are pierced. He is lifted up to draw all men to himself. Because we have no other way of being saved other than Jesus Christ. We started this with verses from Romans. The first step is recognizing the need. There are so many applications to this. First of all, we need to remember the need that other people in. Without Christ, there is no happy ending. That people are not naturally good. Naturally, people are evil. No one seeks God. No, not one. No one does good. Even our best deeds are filthy rags to God who knows our hearts. We know that. 
And we have to tell a world who's in darkness that that is the truth, but a light has dawned. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Maybe this Advent season binds you dwelling in the land of deep darkness. Distress and hunger grips you. And it's held its grip on for too long because you are a son or daughter of the living God and has no right. You may have forgotten, but God has not forgotten you and he sees you. Do you know that, dear one? As the enemy gets ready to hand you another season of distress and hunger, God sees you and that you have a throne of grace you can confidently come to. In Hebrews, it tells us that. That because we have this high priest, Jesus Christ, we can come into the Holy of Holies ourselves anytime we want because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we forget that. And the devil wants to fill our head with so much noise. We forget, where does my hope come from? Or the devil tells us lies that if we are going through a time of grief or a suffering of sadness, then that means you really aren't in the, you're really not right with God. And that's not really the case because sometimes it's just falling upon the throne of grace in tears. And in mourning, and knowing that the sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The Lord sees you where you're at. And for all of us, maybe you're not through a time of distress. You're not through a time where darkness seems like it's all around. You're in an awesome time, and I don't want to take that from you. Know this, though. The world is in utter darkness. Thick darkness. And the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see his glorious light. And you and me, we have a commission from God to be Christmas, Christmas missionaries. To tell those that this child grew, became a man, told us the way of salvation, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He died and was risen again and is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And today I'm to tell you, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And all, all, I have, all I have to offer is the word of the testimony and of the law. Because that is the light, the light that has dawned. Worship team, would you lead us in our final song? Earnestness of our commission from God. That as you look at this world, that the Lord would fill you with compassion and not anger. And that you'd be filled with such a readiness, part of the armor of God, our feet fitted with the readiness to share the gospel. Maybe there's somebody in your life you're thinking about even right now, or you need to ask the Lord, show me one person right now, during this Advent season, I can talk to about the things of the Lord. The reason Jesus came. To know, not to take, not to take for granted the need they have. They may be church-going folk, but that does not mean that they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They may still be in that darkness and you can be the one to bring the light.